Hello, this is Rabbi Rob Doberson, and welcome to this edition of Wrestling and Dreaming. This week, I want to share with you another thought on the Haggadah, on the Seder. And I want to refer to a section of the Mishnah, the earliest rabbinic code of law, in which we find so many of the texts and so many of the, so much of the outline of the Seder. Often, one letter can make a huge difference. I showed you this in a previous episode of the podcast about Pesach last year, in which I talked about the line in the Seder, Bechol dor vador chayav adam. In every generation, a person has to look at themselves, as if they personally left Egypt, similar to what we talked about last week. In every generation, a person must look at themselves. But there's another version of that text, and I talked about it again in a previous episode of the podcast, in which the letter hey is added to the word lerot. To see oneself becomes to show oneself, to display oneself. And many of the rabbis felt, including Maimonides, who made a big point about this, that we had to look the part of a freed slave at the Seder. And we had to have everything not just be uh, conceptual, but be physical in some way. Because the whole idea of the Seder is to teach the children. And therefore, it was a call to make things at the Seder not just ideas, but in practice. And so some people would come to the Seder in certain traditions dressed like a freed slave with a robe and dirt on their feet and a walking stick in their hand in some way to encourage the children or others at the table to ask them to tell them the story, their own personal story. And all that came about with the addition of one letter, hey, leharo, to display yourself as opposed to see yourself. Well, I want to share with you another tradition of the Seder which makes us think about something with one letter's difference. And I'm going to go back to the Mishnah. Now, actually, this part of the, the Mishnah actually appears in the Seder, but is expanded upon further than the Mishnah has it. But the traditional Haggadah adds something to it. Here's the statement in the Mishnah. Rabban Gamliel, Haya Omer, Rabban Gamliel used to say, if a person didn't say, didn't mention these three things at the Seder, they haven't fulfilled their obligation. Pesach, the Pesach sacrifice, Matzah, the unleavened bread, and Maror, the bitter herbs. Now, it's hard to imagine going through an entire Seder without mentioning these things, especially since the shank bone representing the Pesach sacrifice, the maror, the bitter herbs, and the matzah are right on the table in front of us. But Rabban Gamliel wants to make sure that we absolutely say them, that we don't skirt around them, and in fact, that they are the central point of telling the story and of doing the rituals of the Seder. Pesach, matzah, and maror. Now, Rabban Gamliel, or at least... The Mishnah, I assume, I assume it's still the quote from Rabban Gamliel, would say this. Pesach, al-shum she-pasach The Pesach, the shankbone, the Pesach sacrifice is a reminder that God pasach, God passed over our homes in Egypt, the homes of our ancestors during the 10th plague. I'm going to skip matzah for a moment. Maror, the third one, 
על שום שמררו המצרים את חיי אבותינו במצרים. We eat the maror and we have the maror on the table to remind ourselves that the Egyptians embittered the lives of our ancestors in Egypt. But then about matzah, he says the following. Matzah, al shum shenigalu avotenu b'mitzrayim. We eat the matzah because our ancestors were redeemed b'mitzrayim. The word mitzrayim means Egypt. I'm going to leave the b' untranslated for a moment. I don't know exactly why he thinks matzah is specifically supposed to remind us of the redemption from Egypt over the, over the Pesach sacrifice, but this is what he says. This is to remind us that God redeemed us b'mitzrayim. Now, what's the word b'mitzrayim mean? It means in Egypt. God redeemed us in Egypt. Now, there are some commentaries, I wouldn't say commentaries, excuse me, there are some versions of the Mishnah, there are some texts of the Mishnah which have a different reading here, and one which we might expect. God redeemed us from Egypt, Mimitzrayim, not Bimitzrayim, not in Egypt. That God redeemed us from Egypt, that seems to make more sense. And in fact, you could argue that the whole reason that it says Bimitzrayim in Egypt is simply because the other two phrases have the words Bimitzrayim in Egypt, that the Egyptians, uh, that God passed over our homes in Egypt, that the Egyptians embittered our lives in Egypt. And therefore, perhaps these texts which say Mimitzrayim, God redeemed us from Egypt, assume that there was a scribal error in the text based upon the fact that the other two said in Egypt, that one got attached to the matzah as well. And it doesn't make as much sense because God redeemed us from Egypt, not in Egypt. I reject that idea. I think that Rabban Gamaliel's statement that God redeemed us in Egypt is 100% correct. I used to do an exercise with my fifth grade students when I taught Mishnah at our local Hebrew day school, and we came upon this section as we were preparing for the Pesach Seder, and I drew a timeline on the board. Slavery in Egypt, the 10th plague, the crossing of the sea, the giving of the Torah, arriving in Israel, and made a little timeline, arriving in Canaan. And I asked them to keep come up onto the board and put a little mark in their initials next to where they think the people were actually free. When did the people of Israel become free? When did the Hebrew people become free? And there were many different answers. Many said, you know, after, uh, you know, after, after they left Egypt after the 10th plague, after they walked out after the 10th plague, some, people, some of the kids would say uh, at the time when they crossed the Red Sea. Others say when they stood at Mount Sinai to receive the Torah. Others said they weren't really free until their descendants conquered the land of, of Canaan. And I told them what I think. I think Rabban Gamliel's statement in the Mishnah is exactly right. They were redeemed in Egypt. When? I think the redemption took place when they put the blood on the doorpost just before the 10th plague. Why do I say that? Because it was at that point that the people were declaring themselves free. Now, you can declare yourself free all you want, and if somebody is standing telling you you're not free, you're really not, but you are from your own personal standpoint. And so many stories that we know from, for example, the civil rights movement here in the United States, or, as I'm going to explain in a moment, our, our brothers and sisters from the former Soviet Union who struggled 
to be able to leave and were refused that opportunity year after year, they sometimes didn't wait for the authorities, whatever, whoever the authorities are, to tell them that they were freed. It was a state of mind. And for many people, when they immediately, when they stood up and clearly said, we are not going to be persecuted anymore, they felt free even if that persecution went on. Let me tell you a story about a man I met when I was in the former Soviet Union uh, in 1982 on a journey to uh, meet with and to do some teaching to and being taught by, as it turned out, refuseniks, people who had been refused the right to emigrate to Israel. We met a man whose name was Grigory. We met him in Leningrad, now St. Petersburg. And we met him a few days before, a couple of days before Passover. And this man was an astounding individual. He was being hounded by the KGB and by the authorities constantly. But he hosted a Seder in his house, in his small apartment, for as he told us would be 30 people. And what he did was he photographed pages of the one Haggadah that he had, developed them in his own dark room, and had a Seder for everybody made up of photographed copies of the, of the Haggadah that he had. And I asked him, I said to him, where is, where is the hope coming from? Where is the strength coming from? And he took us to his closet and he opened up the door of the closet and he says, those are my suitcases. They have been packed for years because as our ancestors were told, eat the Pesach sacrifice, eat, eat the Pesach meal with your loins girded and your walking sticks in your hand and your shoes on your feet, a verse from Exodus, ready to go. When you, after you eat this, this uh, sacrifice. And he said to us, he said, I feel free. I know I'm not out of the Soviet Union yet, but they have no control over me. I'm ready to go. And I consider myself free. Thankfully, thank God he was freed and, and moved to Israel a couple of uh, years, I believe it was later. But I'll never forget that scene of him opening the door and showing us the, the, uh, all of his clothes packed away. He said, I am free. And he in essence said, although I don't think these were his words, that the government doesn't know it yet, but I've already left in my mind. And that's what I think that Robin Gamaliel is getting at, and that's why I like this text. Our ancestors were redeemed in Egypt. The act of separating from the Egyptians, the act of putting their blood on the doors, the act of, of, of focusing on what God's promise of redemption was what was important. And that exactly was the point. They were redeemed in Egypt. Because freedom can be a state of mind before it becomes a reality. And that's the important point. And with that thought in mind, I want you to think about it. And I know, obviously, that, that our dog Sammy approved of it. Uh, next week, at the beginning of the podcast, I'll teach you a a, a statement about dogs relating to the Exodus, just in, in, in wrapping up and in, in tribute to Sammy's comment there, but I'll leave it here for now. Think about it. We eat the matzah because our people were redeemed, our ancestors were redeemed in Egypt. And freedom is a state of mind before even it becomes a physical reality. Until next time, thank you.